Welcome to the Expand My Mind podcast where I speak to creators, entrepreneurs and experts in their field about concepts and topics that not only intrigue me but add a sense of purpose and value to everyday life. I'm your host Vai Narka on the Expand My Mind podcast and in this episode I speak to Dr. Badrish Vallab. Now Dr. Vallab is someone that I personally look up to, someone who overcame the struggles of racism in South Africa yet has a remarkably amazing yet positive attitude towards life. Dr. Vallab, thank you for coming into the podcast. I'm going to share the conversation to you and ask you to introduce yourself. Yeah, so, you know, um, so, so I'm basically originally um, from, from the, the, the north side of, of Southern South Africa, so Limpopo province, is, that's where I was, orig- I was born, um, and I would consider myself as, um, you know, somebody who's, who's a third culture hero. So I, I want to start with that because I think it, and that, that's the reason why, you know, my life's a little complicated. And the reason I started by saying I'm a third culture hero, uh, phenotypically, you know, I look Indian, um, but I'm a South African at heart and I live in the Middle East. So, you know, basically I had the opportunity of exploring the world um, and, and I think being, being a South African, um, you know, it's kind of given me the opportunity. So what I... Am at the present moment. Uh, I'm a physician working in the pharmaceutical industry, um, but also very passionate about the work that I do, and uh, very happy family man. And uh, you know, like I said, I just basically enjoy uh, the, the kind of experience that I'm having at the moment. Um, but the most important thing for him, I'm just very happy. Uh, I, I I just kind of get that feel. That I'm f- I'm in a happy space, you know. Um, and uh, so if, if I have to summarize and to say what I am, I think that's what I am, a third culture hero in a, in a very happy environment. No, that's brilliant. Um, I, I, was, I was truly, I wasn't expecting that. It was like a mind blow for me. Um, when you say third, uh, third powered hero, what, what do you mean by that? And can you just like give us like a full on like meaning for you personally? What do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I mean, a third culture hero. So, you know, for me, obviously being born in South Africa, uh, I mean, I just, I just love my country, you know. So, you know, when we, historically, we, we all, I mean, the, the so-called, the Indian population in South Africa arrived here uh, as, as workers, you know, sugar plantations, etc. So, um, and, but, but we South Africa, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you know, my birth certificate, I was born in Limpopo. So, so that makes us, uh, that puts me into space. Uh, like I said, we, you know, we grew up in South Africa. Uh, yet when you go abroad and people look at you, they say, uh, are you from India? And, and, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the part that kind of say, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually South African, you know, because I was born in South Africa. Um, and to make it worse, when you go to the Middle East and, and you start working in that environment, and the, the same kind of things kind of come up again, you know, to say, uh, are you Indian? And at the end of the day, see, it's, it's where you are brought up. Uh, and, and for me, uh, the South African part is very, very important. Um, and gr- growing up as a South African, uh, coming through, you know, a lot of the Europe, I mean, be apartheid, um, and, and it's, it's grown us, it's grown me, it's made me somebody... Um, I think over the years, it's taught me so many lessons, you know, um, from be it spirituality, be it emotional, uh, in, emotional intelligence, IQ, social intelligence, whatever you, you want to call intelligence nowadays, you know, people term it also very differently. 
it's given me the opportunity to kind of develop in that way. And that's why I come across and, and I, I use this third culture bit. It's because, you know, people are in a very, I mean, it's in a very challenging environment. You're South African uh, at heart, but you look differently. And then you go to another, uh, you know, uh, go to the Middle East and, and you obviously get called again some other things. Uh, but it, but it's, a, it's a fun, it's a challenge part. It's a good part uh, of knowing where you've come from, uh, how you've developed, how you've grown. And in every bit of the way, uh, you know, there's just there's this growth. Um, and I've never, ever looked back to say, you know what, uh, the South African kind of thing pulled me back. No, it's helped me grow so much, you know. So I think that's why I like the third culture part, because it's just a little more than, than what an average person would experience. And I think my life has been like that, you know. It's been a little more than just uh, moving a place. Uh, I think there's a lot of shift, uh, be it mental, physical... Um, you've I felt a lot, you know, but over the years, I think that has helped me grow. Okay, yeah, and that's interesting, and I like the view, and I, I think I've, I'm going to start adopting that into what, the way I say. So, if you don't mind, I can also like how I describe it, how to describe myself in future things and so forth. And you just, I think you brought up apartheid, and being a South African Indian, can you just tell us your childhood because you've lived through it? I, I was. I've been born, I was born in 2004, so I have no recollection. I just hear everybody else's experience. So why don't you give us like a um, overview of what your childhood looked like? Yeah, so our, our childhood was very interesting. You know, I think one of the things that I related uh, the other day is that, uh, you know, when we went to a public pool, uh, it was a big event because, uh, first of all, it was a swimming pool. Um, the thing is, Vihan, uh, Vahin, sorry, you know, we never had, um, we couldn't afford a swimming costume uh, those days. Uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up, because these are little things that, that kind of just changed my life. Those days, we had to hire a public uh, swimming costume from, from, from the public pools, you know, in order to get into a pool. Now, apartheid, where apartheid came in, and this is, I think, part of it as well, uh, you know, the whole difficulty of actually... Uh, not swimming in your own swimming pool, etc. But the thing where it hit me is when we had to apply for a, to a university. And those days, um, you know, we had to ask for special permission from the government. Uh, it was called the, um, I think, it, uh, if I remember correctly, it was a special permit that was needed to study at a white university. So as much as, you know, getting your grades was one thing, it was a challenge, but you still needed a you needed permission from the government to say you can then study at a, at a, a white university. You know, that, that's what universities were previously. So, um, you know, getting six A's was okay. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's just one of the things that you had to get. But then you also needed special permission from the government. And for me, and then you enter a university, um, it's a class of 200 180 white students, 20 black students. So anyone that's not white, I refer to as black, right? So we were 20 black students in an environment of uh, about 180 white students. And, and growing up there, and, and you know, one of the things uh, about apartheid that really kind of hit me uh, was filling in a form at UCT, and I won't forget this. And, and one of the blocks, they said race, and, and I put 1,500 meters. Um, you know, so I got called up by the deputy dean to say, uh, Patrice Fallon, uh, did you not understand the question? I said, no, 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 I understood the question. I actually thought that you were looking to make good doctors here. 
And he looked at me and says, no, but that's what we're doing. But, uh, you know, we just needed the race so that, you know, we kind of... I said, yeah, but I don't see the relevance. Because at the end of the day, UCT, you want a good doctor. Why do you want a good X doctor or a Y doctor? You need a good doctor. So these are little gems of, or little things that happened to me, you know. And then obviously, um, I needed a haircut, Vaheen. Uh, I'm going to a little barber shop in Rondebosch. I will never forget this, man. Uh, 18 year old, you know, walking to the barber shop, and I actually sit on the chair, and the guy looks at me and says, you know what, uh, I can't cut your hair. I said, but why? He says, no, uh, you're not white. I said, hmm, interesting. Um, and you know, like I walked out, I mean, this was in the middle of, in Rondebosch, you know, and I cried. I actually cried that day, and I said, well, what's wrong with this country? You know, I mean, I'm here, and I thought Cape Town was really, you know, um, and, and then I think the other one, the, the, the part about apartheid in growing up is in fifth year as a medical student, uh, and I, I'll never forget, these things you just don't forget, you know. Uh, walking to the ward and there was a white patient, and I'm sorry that I'm using uh, the different demographics here, but in order to make the story uh, that, you, that you understand, you know, what you can go through, I go to this patient, it's a white patient, and he turns around and looks at me and says, you know what, you, you can't examine me. Um, and I said, okay. I went back to my prof, uh, and it was Prof Immelman. Um, uh, may his soul rest in peace, but I think he's, he's late also. And he came with me to the patient, and he says, patient, whatever his name was, uh, you know, this is a teaching hospital, and this is Dr. Vallab. He's going to qualify next year, and he will be examining you because you signed off to say that this is a teaching hospital, and you would allow medical students to examine you. So unfortunately, sir, you do not have an option, but Dr. Vallab will examine you. So these are little things that happen over the years, you know. Um, and, and like I said, uh, growing up as a kid, uh, you go through these things. But I, and I don't, you know, for me, it was never that these incidences or these episodes scarred me. They, they don't scar you, Vaheen. They, they make you better. They make you learn to say how you should be behaving and how your attitude should be towards other people in life, you know. So, so for me, I think these were all very uh, good lessons. I've learned a lot. So apartheid for me, yeah, as much as, you know, in those days it hurt and it broke your heart. And, but I think Madiva taught us a big lesson. You know, we need to move on in life. Uh, there's greater things, bigger things that you can achieve uh, from your past, you know. So, yeah, a, a negative apartheid, but I think for me, I drew a lot of positives out of that. Um, and, and I help, you know, even with my teachings on a day-to-day -day basis, it would kind of help. So I hope I kind of captured that bit for you. Yeah, it, you did definitely, 100%. I, I think there's a few parts where I enjoyed it most, especially like where you filled in race 500 meters. Oh, that, that's a highlight for me. Um, I wish I could have said I've done something like that risky in my life. Um, but I, I would love to do something like that just once, like just have that fun in in life um and so forth i've always been an academic so uh i've stuck to every rule and recently i've just been breaking apart and like okay i don't want to wear uniform today i'm just gonna break apart i'm gonna wear golf pants that looks like uniform but yeah just like started slowly but surely breaking rules in a way i don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing uh but i just want to experience life to the fullest potential and it sounds like through your journey so far and just like speaking about getting into university and going through the university process and so forth, uh, you were able to actually like see the, the challenges in life, but you also took it to the fullest potential also. 
Um, and speaking about medicine, which, which you studied at uh, UCT, and, uh, but in today's world, the, the idea of becoming a doctor, um, and I hear a lot of people, the idea of becoming a doctor is all about making money. Um, I'd like to hear your view on what are your, was becoming a doctor like your, your first option uh, or was it like something that you always aspired in, in or was it somebody that influenced you or something like that? Uh, and what is your, your purpose? What is your view on becoming a doctor? How were you going to help people? Yeah, so I, I think for me there were multiple factors. I think one, the first one was indoctrination. I think, uh, you know, I had, I, I think my granny, um, my late granny, I think she was the first person, wherever she, whenever she made a prayer, she would always bless me and she'll say, make my grandson, make sure that he becomes a doctor. Okay, so that's how it started. I mean, this was from the age of three, four. <clears throat> so as a, as a child, as a young child growing up, that's the one thing that's ringing in my head. I will be a doctor, you know. So whether you call it brainwashing, blessing, I don't know, but it was something like that. I just felt... This was the path for me. My granny started it. And those days, my you know, parents believed, Indian parents specifically believed that becoming a doctor and a teacher, doctor for men, uh, teachers for women, you know, because you can still get married and, and teach. Uh, but, you know, as, as, as a female, it becomes very difficult once you get married. So there were things like that that was running around in the community. So, But for me, my father made it very clear that I will do medicine. You should become a doctor. Uh, but in my heart, in my head, I was an artist. You won't believe this, but I loved the arts. You know, I loved Hamlet. I loved Merchant of Venice. I thought I was going to play the role of Shylock and I was going to do Brutus. And, and I mean, I was like, a, I don't know, I loved acting, but I couldn't. You know, and I always think of a movie, and I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but it's a brilliant movie. Um, I think it's called Dead Poet Society. Um, and uh, the guy just it's kind of slipped my head about who the actor was. But this poor guy also died of uh, depression. You know? But Dead Poet Society is exactly was my story. It's just that I wasn't like that kid, you know, that, that committed suicide and because he couldn't do arts. And, you know, he was forced into doing medicine. But in my side, uh, I must say that, I said, you know what, let me do medicine. I mean, I can always do arts, you know, as a side. Or I can add it to, to later. But... Uh, for me, the, the whole medicine journey began, uh, like I said, from childhood. Um, and, and coming to the point about, did I do medicine to, to kind of make money? It was, that kind of never featured. Yeah, we grew up very hard, uh, very, very difficult times. You know, we, we grew up in two bedroom homes. Uh, we struggled. I mean, I still remember, you know, I mean, there were days when uh, the shoes would have holes, you know, we just couldn't afford. So, whether becoming a doctor would have kind of helped me sort out all the poverty issues, we never thought of it that way. But there was always a bit about compassion. Helping people, yeah, that was a big thing. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, even like if you, over the years, I mean, and I kind of maintain that, uh, you know, serving people was going to be like the big thing for me. Uh, and obviously coming to, um, and, and for, for me, the, the, the serving people, but also the research element kind of fascinated me. So it was more, I think it was a little bit of both, um, you know, the fascination, the helping, and then also the community kind of link. Um, and and I, I think, and, and you know, I had a lot of support from the family um, and a lot of support from, from, from community, within the community as well. So there were multiple factors, you know, uh, as to why I chose medicine. Um, 
and and I think at the end of the day, you know, when when I kind of look back and I said, you know, did I make the right choice? And I said, you know what, it was. And I mean, today I'm sitting in the research side of things. So I'm working in industry, um, you know. And I also noticed that you're interested in arts and this is like just building on to your, your hobbies, uh, singing. And I've, I've, I think I've, I'm one of your, your subscribers on YouTube. I've subscribed to the, um, you, you sing uh, the virgins and, um, and I even saw my mom, one, uh, she showed me a video on Facebook of you singing and, and I must say that you have a really good voice and it probably could be another alternative career that if, if you ever think about it, um, but yeah, I will leave links to all the YouTube um, videos in the description box or show box down below. Um, and yeah, what 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 pursue what like kind of put you into like the singing route, like getting you into there? Like you were academic, you you had to get your grades, but at the same time you enjoyed singing. How did that actually like start? Okay, let me go that route also. Like. So, so this happened um, the day I got my result that I passed medicine in Cape Town. And there was a friend, uh, Ashwin Nashi, you know, he introduced me to the stage. He says, you know, you should, you should get onto the stage uh, because your voice you know, is a good voice. You, you would do okay with that, you know, you'd do good. Um, so I never, I never ever looked back from that day. And, I, and, and the point is I never did too much singing I did a lot of singing as a child. I uh, did a lot of hymns, pigeons, as you said earlier. Um, my dad continues. I mean, one of the things that we did as a family, I mean, it was every Saturday night, you know, uh, uh, we went for prayer meetings and we sang at different homes. Um, so you kind of go from family to family and you sing. So it kind of helped me. So I think so that's where the vocal bit came, you know, uh, the culture bit, uh, the singing bit. And I enjoyed it. I enjoy beat, I enjoy rhythm, uh, and I also enjoy pitch and vocal. So I, I think it's also from a musical family, right? So dad and mom singing all the time, uh, you know, in the house. I mean, you always get people doing a little bit of tuning here and there. So I, I think that's where the kind of singing influence came. Um, for me, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's part of my day-to-day. -day. It also helps me balance my life a bit. Um, it, it kind of feeds my soul. Now, I know this is going to sound very deep, but just trust me, it does so much. When I'm sitting and I'm doing, I mean, if I, even if I'm doing emails, and if I have to just switch, I'll go onto a karaoke track and I'll start singing in between. So it kind of, kind of gives me the balance, you know. It, it, it's very comforting, uh, soothing. Um, but also I know that I'm not going to be, like I said, like I was telling somebody, you know, I might go, not go into a million viewers. That, that's not the goal for me. It's more like, you know, do I feel happy doing this? Uh, but at the same time, if it's something that's going to make other people happy, why not? And I think that's where I think your mom picked up some of the, the kind of recording as well, you know. But uh, for me, I think singing has been more, um, like I said, you know, uh, the, 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 the kind of balance in my life. Uh, and like I said, you know, I, I didn't want to be a professional singer. And by definition of a professional singer is that you get paid for your singing, right? Uh, that's what my granny said. If people start paying you for your singing, you're going to lose all that you have. So I said, well, like, that's like a curse, you know. Don't do that to me, Granny, you know, because she wanted me to be a doctor and she didn't want me to go into the singing path. But I, I always thought that the singing bit is something that I would never want to ever give up. Um, I always keep it there um, because, you know, it kind of fills, fills a lot of my kind of, um, not gaps, you know, but it keeps me, like I said, fully nourished in my soul. Yeah. 
Um, and just speaking upon the scene part, um, but you also, so after university, you had your med- medicine degree and uh, you you took on singing and so forth. What What is like other people, did you actually like get, did you fear other people's reactions? Because a doctor singing is kind of not like typical thing. Um, how did you actually break from that fear? Like, okay, it makes me happy. Um, and if you were able to do it back in that time, and I'm, re- I'm realizing it quite early in my life, that if it makes you happy, you need to do it. Um, how did you actually come to that realization? It's what I want to do because we're so influenced by everybody around us judging us. No, that's a good point. The judging part was huge because, you know, people say, I mean, look at this guy. He's a doctor and he's doing this. You know, do you have to? I mean, people will come to my dad. They, they won't come to me. You know, it was a whole community thing those days. And come to my father and say, but like, you know, how can he sing? He's a doctor. The other thing is from the council, there was also a regulation that you cannot, if you go on the stage, you can't go and say, Dr. Patrish Vallabh, in, in, you know, like performing today. So they should announce, they should put my name up as Patrish Vallabh singing. And then, you know, I'll never forget this, Lanesha Times, <laughs> those are so weird, you know, and there's like a headline, the singing doctor. It was a big thing those days in Lanesha. The singing doctor, you know, and I thought, no, man, this is, you know, if somebody reports me to the council, my license is gone, you know. But I mean, look, it's not me. People are were kind of, you know, and those days it wasn't Facebook or Twitter or any of those, you know. It was Lanesia Times. So it was a big thing. And, uh, but, uh, I, I mean, those are like some of those nerve-wracking moments where you said, oh, is, am I going to be reported for this? Um, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know, back chatting. You could hear, you know, my father was getting, they say, yeah, you know, do you have to? And then my dad would come to me and say, but do you have to go and do shows? I said, but dad, you know, I really enjoy singing, you know. Uh, but, but coming back to your point is, is I think um, that there were, I think, you know, I think doctors had to behave in a certain way those days. Like now it's different, you know, you see, I think Riyadh was our, our comedian, you know, it's, it's like, He's a doctor, you know. I mean, he can be a comedian. But those days, if Badrish, who was a doctor, had to sing, it was like, no, man, this is not, it didn't look right, you know. But it didn't bother me because at the end of the day, you know, I felt I needed to sing, uh, I needed to be happy. But I was working with my space. It wasn't so much about, you know, other people. And then I think that's one of the things in life, that you should be content of, of, of things that you want to do. You don't do things for other people, you do it for yourself, right? And I think that's that's what kind of kept me going with the singing and being the doctor. So, yeah. And, and then, you know, I've, I've seen recently also a lot of the Idol show, I think there were quite a few doctors, you know, on the stage. And I thought, okay, you know, can you imagine? And I'm not saying, and I'm really not bitter about it, that I didn't have it in my days, that, you know, we had, in, you know, those Idol shows or whatever. But uh, it was a bit different, that, you know, the streams, medical people, you know, look rigid, white jacket, you know, tie, uh, Oh, and the other big thing that happened while, you know, with the singing, uh, I also had an earring. So this is very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd never, you'd never believe this, right? Like, uh, so I wore an earring to hospital the one day. And uh, the consultant pulled me over. He says, you know, take that off. I said, uh, why? He says, no, in this, this hospital, you know, doctors don't wear earrings. I said, well, I mean, it doesn't affect the way you treat patients. Why is it affecting you? So, you know, I'm a bit of a, I was a rebel, uh, you should know that. Uh, and I really, I'm not encouraging that you be a rebel, but you need to question the system. You have to. And then uh, we went up to the department head. 
And the department said, so asked the consultant, what's the issue? So, you know, he says, look, this guy has got an earring, you know. So he said, but that doesn't affect patient care. Leave him. And I was so happy. And I'll never forget the name. And I'm going to say the guy's prof's name, you know, Professor Van Gelderen. He was a guy that saw a little more than the earring in me. You know, he said, no, this is a good doctor. It's got nothing to do with the way he looks, you know. He's delivering. But coming back to the point about it was not so much about a doctor that can't sing. You, you have to do certain. I, I mean, yeah, I did push against the grain sometimes, a lot of times. The only thing I didn't do is challenge my father to say, you know, I want to become an artist. I want to be an actor and not a doctor. Because, you know, it was a bit hard to push back there. I mean, like your father tells you, you should be a doctor. I mean, you know, you just, it was like, yes, dad, I will. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just a little different. Like I said, the paradigms were different. Yeah, so, 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 it, it, so I think it, it wasn't it's very straightforward that, uh, you know, the singing just kind of happened. Yeah, there were issues, you know. It wasn't like you just pick up and you record something and that, yeah, you have to think a lot about it. But uh, at the end of the day, you also needed, I think people, you, I was fortunate that people picked up their talent to say, you know what, let's take on this kid, you know, he's, he's a doctor, but he's got a good voice. Uh, and there were people in Indonesia those days, you know, they, they said, you know what, he can sing Mohammed Rafi and some some songs that they they, they actually started they, they kind of felt that you know I could do certain songs better so so they started kind of giving me uh, show promoters actually came up to me and said no can you do a song for us here and then they started nominating you for awards you know there were lots of things that happened so yeah so that's how the, the singing bit went uh, and, and the doctor bit um, uh, it's a very interesting times <laughs> It, it it's nice to see that um should i say you took on an extra curricular besides medicine like often you'd like get a lot of people and i notice now on youtube doctors actually come on youtube and they do their lives like you spoke about the paradigm shift because your parents are saying okay you need to do this need to do that what advice could you give to the today's youngest people like myself that are heading to university next year the year after um to to follow what they want instead of like what society wants yes it's good to listen to your parents don't ever say that i don't listen to my parents uh but it's also society has a big saying on what you what you have to do like you spoke about pavlo's um influence uh, he how he can do it to dogs and what what like that and society can actually do it to you uh just by saying oh you need to become a doctor this you get so much of feedback from everybody and you're like so confused how can you actually, like, what advice can you give to people? Yeah, so, so for me, you know, it's, I think young people growing up, um, you know, if you have a passion, you follow your passion. I think that's number one. I mean, that's how I grew my kids, you know. Um, I mean, I never ever put pressure on them to say they should do medicine. I mean, and I'm, and I'm very, I shouldn't say I'm very grateful or fortunate, but both of them, if you, you know, they've not chosen medicine. Okay, they both, one went psychology, uh, you know, and she said she did psychology because she wants to study my mind, which is fine. And then, you know, my son went into engineering, uh, which into, uh, you know, climate change and, and kind of sustainable energy and so forth. Um, but for youngsters, I think the most important thing is having the passion. If you've got the passion, uh, and, and I think it's important for parents as well. It's, it's not just so much like, you know, in a family situation. I think parents should be very supportive. Um, you know, I think, and I don't, I really don't blame my dad. I, I never ever, you know, say that, you know, my dad forced me. I think that's the wrong sentence. My dad did what was right for him at that time. 
That was the time. That was the better time. And he felt, you know, kids should be doctors and lawyers. I mean, lawyers and oh yeah, I forgot the lawyer, but or must be a teacher. That that's how they were growing up. Um, but for today's generation, for today's time, you've got the passion. You follow your passion. Like you said, you know, if some doctors feel he would do so well just by doing, you know, being a YouTuber or giving advice, etc., go for it. You know, um, if if you feel, um, you know, you want to do full time X, Y, or Z. If you've got the passion, follow it. So for me, it's, it's just about following your dream. And, and, and sometimes, you know, uh, I think we, we tend to over, or rather we, we overthink it. But I think it's if you've got a certain thing you think you can do, and so, you know, if you have the right passion and you've got the right energy, I think you should follow that, you know. That, that's my advice. Mm. Uh, yeah, we spoke about it in a few other podcasts about following passion. And, but then I like the advice that the different phrasing, uh, following advice and uh, getting it that way. But now I want to actually like d- dive into, I'm an academic, so I love studying. And, but you also, you can put yourself as an academic and classify yourself as that. You got quite a few qualifications on your name. And what, how much time did you have to sacrifice from your family it's it's the idea of understanding from your perspective you you were a doctor and you wanted to further your education and you had a family and all of that type of thing uh things um how did you manage your time how much time did you have to sacrifice from your family in order to further your career do you regret that time or was it worth it does your family how did you get them to understand that all right so so, so I break. So let's start with how I use my time. I think that'll be a good start, right? So I have twenty. You have twenty-four hours in the day. <clears throat> I mean, most people have twenty-four hours in the day. Okay, some people push more, <laughs> but in my normal twenty-four hours, I give uh, seven hours of sleep minimum. Okay, um, eight hours go towards work. Okay, we we will come back to the work side. The other nine hours, I break up into what I would call three HFS. The three HFS would be three hours I would give to, so one hour each to health, hygiene, and hobby. All right. The three other Fs would be family, friends, and uh, faith. And the last three Ss would be service, soul, and smile. So if you, if you look at collectively, and, and I mean, look, you can't be exact. You can't say, you know, I didn't do 60 minutes here or whatever. But that, that's how I break up my day. So the eight hours of your work, uh, and now that I'm qualified, okay, that you would do your full-time work. But for me, the, the thing is, and the question that you're asking, what, did, what happened, uh, you know, as you kind of develop your family or you have your family situation, there were situations where the kind of equilibrium shifted a bit, right? Because you would steal from your, from your wife and your children. Uh, you have to make a few sacrifices. And, and I always, I'm very thankful to my wife because, you know, over the years, uh, I did steal some time. And, and the kind of nice little classification I gave you of the 24 hours didn't happen that way. Because, you know, those family hours, the one 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 that you stole, you kind of pushed into your environment, where you, or, or rather you were pushed into the area where you're trying to kind of gain, beat, uh, qualification, etc. The point I want to make is, and you know, there was a lovely, I forgot the guys, uh, oh yeah, I, th- I think the, in chemistry we had, uh, it's called the Chatelier's Equilibrium Principle. So in life, you do have 
kind of equilibrium situation. But if you need to kind of balance, then you shift, okay? And the whole equilibrium shift, but you got like a new kind of center. And that's what you try and do. You're always moving, uh, you're accommodating, you're taking from here, but then you try and give back. Now, lost time is never something that you can ever give back to a family. So, unfortunately, the, those, then, then that's why you call it a sacrifice. So, over the years, I have, um, yeah, from a qualification perspective, when I did my, my master's, um, I, I, I asked my wife, you know, I said, you know, could I do this? Um, and I know it sounds weird that, you know, you, you'd ask your spouse for permission, but it's good to do that. Um, but, but, you know, it, I mean, sometimes you, you could get an answer like, you know, this is not a good time. But, uh, you know, I mean, fortunately for me, there was never that. There was always support to say, kind of go ahead and do the study. Um, for me also, to give, to give young people advice that if you're going to be studying, um, I, I know, you know, a lot of people say you should continue studying for a lifetime, you know. I feel studying you should do, just, you should get it done before you're 35. This is just me, uh, please, there could be a lot of controversy. You know, I could make it a very controversial subject to say, you know what, you can't stop studying. But trust me, you know, you're studying, but you should get your qualifications. It's just good to get before you're 30, 35. And the reason being is that you start moving in your 30, late 30s, you start moving into your careers, you start getting into different jobs. Um, you, you obviously, you know, would want to land up finally doing something on your own. But that, that's the kind of, you need that background and you, to, to kind of develop a move or get some kind of momentum. Um, that, that's what you do. You get your qualification sorted and then you start doing your work with, you know, over the years. Um, so, yeah, I think the balance, it's something um, that, that you, you might struggle to get. But I think the initial formula that I said, you know, you start getting in your little health regime, uh, you know, you're, you get into a fitness regime. And I think that's big. If you don't get that, you know, it doesn't help you get that balance quickly. So there are a number of things. And like I said, like we touched on earlier, the singing bird, the spirituality bird, the friends are very important. There are people that are actually, you know, they have everything, but they don't have friends. And then they go into this lonely bird, you know, like I'm so lonely. Yeah, but where are your friends? Um, so friends are important. Yeah, family is important. You can't, you know, family, like you say, you can't choose family, right? Um, but, but friends are important and even having some kind of faith. Yeah, you might say, but you know, you could be an atheist, but atheist is a kind of own way, it's its own faith, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but you have that as well. But these are the things that help you gain that balance. Um, and, and I believe, you know, if you do have some kind of structure as to how you're going to devote some of your times, you know, you can achieve. Um, but I think, uh, you know, just to kind of end with this, you know, they, they are sacrifices. Unfortunately, it's not always that your 24 hours are kind of well cut out and you got your 9 and 7 and your 8. It's not every time. Uh, but, uh, but if you've got a framework, I think you can make it happen. Yeah, I, I like the framework that you propose and I made a note of it myself here. Um, I've taken a lot, of, a lot of key things out of here personally. Um, and look... I'm, I kind of want to follow down your path, uh, look, look up to you as an idol. And, um, and that, that's where I would like to ask when you were, and this kind of goes back and I was kind of sidetracking off here, but when you're in UCT, how did you manage your time? Like we, I'm a big believer in productivity systems and I, I try to learn from everybody else. And I'm, I believe I'm a lifelong learner, um, that how, how did you find a way to manage your time? Because med school, 
every time I hear, every, either you burnt out, uh, people say, oh, you're going to burn out one way. And they'll set that like mental, mentally, you're like already, when I enter med school, I'm going to burn out at some stage. Um, whoa. And that kind of speaks to society speaking again and the influence on society. But what advice would you give to people that are in med school and they don't, they, they, they're just starting their med school journey and they like want to further their career. They want to carry on learning, carry on learning and carry on learning. What advice would you give them in terms of time management? Uh, besides the framework that you get, uh, you've proposed uh, from your personal experience, what, um, what advice or recommendations would you give them from your learning, your experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, and you're asking specifically as a medical student, right? Uh, so, yes. you know, medical students get bombarded from day one. Uh, I mean, or any other student, but I mean, for, med, for medicine, it's just like a volume overload situation. It's crazy. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, I remember, um, the, but the only thing that we did differently those days is that we, we just, we had a lot of sport. So we, we did hiking, we did running, you know, I mean, I mean, the funny thing is like we, we you know we weren't allowed to stay at the rest uh, so it was and then the and then I had to actually try and work out my own accommodation and I lived illegally illegally in Newlands behind a shop there was one room and like a bathroom it was my uncle's shop you know so and uh, because of group areas act so this was in Newlands and Newlands was just like up the you know I mean the UCT was just up the road so I could just get a bus and yes. I could jump on yes. it and and the guy that protected me um, and kind of told my uncle that, look, it's safe to leave Patricia, you know, uh, is Mornay Duplessis. I don't know if you'll know this uh, gentleman, but he was the South African captain, rugby captain. And he told my uncle, look, okay. he's going to be okay here. And the reason I'm bringing up Newlands, because I could run up that hill. Newlands was Dean Street. It, I mean, if you ever go to Newlands, please drive up Dean Street. It's so steep, you know, and you... And we ran up and we had, and in those days I even, I think I got a bicycle, uh, kind of somebody's bicycle, I don't know whose it was, but I know somebody gave me a bicycle. And we, I mean, never ever did that, you know, as a kid, yeah, we did it in Lens, but this was like riding in Newlands, you know. But that was all the bits that kind of helped us, the physical activity. And then the biggest kind of element was also joining a community uh, where I went and, and I sang budgets on weekends, uh, met a lot of people. Because as a student, you know, it's not just books, because books will drive you crazy. Um, so you need that extra hours, like I said, you know, you need that hour, you need some friends, you need the community. And again, I think that's where the singing bit helps. So for a student, I think it's going to be critical. Um, you know, going into the academics, no issue. But I think if you don't have those other bits, uh, be it uh, like a service, you know, go and help out uh, Ole John. Go and read a story to an elderly person. You know, or just go and help somebody, um, like I said, or go to, or, or do something, what's your hobby? You know, if you enjoy singing or you want to do something, but get those little hours together. Um, and I, I think you, you kind of avoid the burnout or even the boredom. Because a lot of students will say, you know what, after second year, I've, I've had a number of students that said, look, I want to quit medicine in second year. I've had that, a number of them that would come to me say, no, I'm not going to continue. And then you'd sit down with them and say, look, why, why are you going this route, you know? Well, what are some of the issues? And then you'll see, they're burning out, over, doing, or rather concentrating too much in certain areas uh, of over-focusing. And sometimes, you know, you need to leave something and come back to it. You know the theory of that one, right? If, if you can't get something, yeah. move away from it and then come back 15 minutes later. You'll get it, you know? 
because that's how our circuits are, right? Your brain also something. You just need something to refresh. So I think that that would be the recipe, uh, you know, for, for medical students. Have it balanced um, and, and try and incorporate those, the FSH or HFS, you know, which everyone will look at it. But I think that formula would work. I think it's a good recipe. Uh, I mean, I hate the kitchen, so I'm not a kitchen guy, you know, but I think for me, like life lessons like this, these recipes help, um, you know, try to be practical. Um, and, and, and I think that that would probably pave, uh, pave the way for a lot of students as well. Um, we spoke about, uh, now we just, you just spoke about university life balance and so forth, something that I will be heading into. Uh, but when it comes to work life balance, and now I think this is like kind of your focus and your expertise at the moment, you've been in the industry, for, uh, the work industry for years now. Um, you can probably give a figure, but what does work life balance mean to you? Yeah. So work life for me is, you know, if, if work-life balance equals, for me, good spiritual health, good physical health, and good mental health. I, I think that equation would work for me. You know, if I can uh, nourish those three areas, I think I'm good. Um, and I, I mean, even, and thank, you know, I'm very fortunate. I mean, our company, you know, it's a very big thing. I mean, we make absolutely sure. Uh, we drive that as leaders you make sure people are achieving that um, for example emails you'll even see you know uh, you don't have to answer emails after a certain time that's right um, I mean I've had managers in the past that would call me over weekends and you know if you didn't take a call I mean how could you not take my call I'm important yeah I mean I know you're important but I'm not working um, but I think at the end of the day <clears throat> uh, and also you need good managers or you need people that can understand that uh, you know you are in charge of your calendar so you push in your eight hours like we discussed eight hours of work um, very important and then I think at the end of the day um, you know you need to for, for me work-life balance would mean that you know if you're not giving the right time towards certain areas uh, outside of work it'll affect your work so you know again it, it's like having the right ingredients right um, and, and making sure Productivity uh, is from those areas. So you know, if if and then I, let, let's just start with your physical health. You know, and I tell my kids this. I say, you know, if you are not in good shape, uh, and, and I mean, I know again, a lot of people will debate this, but you know, uh, you you obviously and I'm, they they feel I'm neurotic about health because I'm a, and I'm not. I'm just a very normal person. But if you have good physical health, it helps your mental health, and ultimately, it'll help your spiritual health. Um, and, and I think, like I said earlier, collectively, that would contribute significantly towards a good work-life balance. And I, I want to diverge from this a little bit now, but you spoke about spiritual health, mental health, physical health. Do you think that sums into your, your, your hiking journey thus far? I, I know that you're a hiker and it's a big passion. Dad's been, uh, my dad's been with you on a few hikes, and, but... Um, I'd, I'd like to join you once once in the next few years um, but it's how do you how do you play how do you use hiking so besides singing you also hike um, and you spoke a little bit about running did you compete competitively in running no I, I find <laughs> running is like uh, you know I mean uh, I admire runners but uh, I, I don't know I just have a thing about um, overstraining joints so you know I, I feel a lot of runners land up 
complaining about degenerative uh, or accelerated G degenerative joint problem. So I'm, I'm a little against running. So I'm a walker. And, and that's why I kind of take heavy on to hiking and walking. Um, but I mean, you know, hiking for me is a very big element of uh, spirituality. Because, um, you know, for us, for me, particularly, it's a sense of belonging. You know, spirituality is all about that. You belong to a certain group. You go there and you feel, man, I feel so good. And every hike, for me, it's not about the destination. It's the people that you walk with. And uh, I, I think, you know, the conversations that you have are just amazing. We, you learn so much. You empower so much. You grow so much. Um, but, but I think that's, that's the part um, that, that guides me. Hiking equals for me my spirituality. Um, and, and, and I know when we, you know, when we obviously together um, going into the nature, I mean, for me, it's just an awesome feeling, you know. Uh, you, it's a feeling of coming alive. Uh, and it's also, I mean, it's partly also, um, yeah, it, 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 it is something that, that um, you know, prepares you for a lot of things to come. Um, and I always tell, you know, when, when you get tasked at work, uh, and it could be, you know, we go through a lot of reviews, articles, uh, preparing slides, I mean, you know, strategy sessions. And what I use a lot of times is, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of altitude hiking. Uh, I, I know my guys kill me for this because, you know, I'll plan, we'll go to 6,000 meters. But for me, it's not about going about altitude. It's about the preparation. It's the process. It's about taking a group of people. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not so much about getting to the top. It's about getting people to the top and bringing them down without injuries. I, I, I'm, I'm in a big fan of that, you know. I go, I want 100% clean slate. I take people up and I bring them down. That's my job. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason why we do what we do um, is, 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 is that, you know, we help each other uh, and then we know we belong. That's our hiking club. But uh, besides just the spirituality part, I think it also helps our physical health, right? Because you're working out, you're walking. Um, yeah, we, we tend to, you know, party a little, but that's after the hike. But it's okay. Uh, I mean, we're not totally neurotic about you know, becoming super athletes. But I mean, we, we're good, you know, we, we have the balance, like I said, even with hiking, it helps us in that way. And you speak about balance I, I, through the whole podcast episode that we've been producing right now. It's, um, you speak about balance in such a way in all the contexts that you've spoken about. Um, but one of the key things is, and many people out there, probably when I get into the work world or even in university and so forth, I think one of the things is that you get classified as a workaholic uh, after a certain stage, you're like, okay, I don't know when to put the book down. I don't know when to stop working. And so how do you actually advise people like that? You, you, I think you've mastered it uh, by, by saying, okay, I'm going to come back and come down to South Africa. I'm just going to stay here for some time and take some time off. How, how have you, how, what, kind of mental toolbox or mental process have you put in place for yourself in order to schedule time off in order to re recoup if i think like if you can think um think in that type of like military type of way yeah so so i think for, for me uh yeah you, you know it's it's a bit of a like, like yeah it, it's you you need to, you know some areas or sometimes in life you do need these switches you know you just some of these switches you're gonna to have to just switch off, uh, and then times where you feel you just have to be at your best, you, you just do it. So I think these these so-called South African when I come back home, uh, when I do meet my friends, 
uh, when I do the hiking. These are, I would call, uh, the refueling stations of my life, you know. Uh, I have to do them. I mean, like, I mean, my, my poor wife would know. She, she, she struggles about coming to, to South Africa. And not, not that she struggles, but she would prefer to be kind of going elsewhere. But she knows that when we come back here, it's, it's a big deal for me. You know, I need this. It's, it's my little nourishment. You know, I need the refueling. It's like pre pressing the control all delete button for me. You know, it's like, hey man, I, I need to start. The, so, you know, you kind of just feel refreshed. Um, it, it's just the whole. So, so if you ask me, do I have like a process uh, or a toolkit? It's, it's very difficult, uh, except to say that, you know, these kind of coming back home. Uh, I even go back to the place where I was born. So I will go to Venda, you know, uh, which is the north in Limpopo. My, my wife finds it very crazy. Yeah. She said, but why do you want to go there? I said, I don't know. I mean, I just go there if I stand on the soil and I feel refreshed. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I need to be here. And she, she can't understand this. Mm -hmm. I said, but you know what? I don't know. So coming back to, to, your, to your point is, you know, do I have a process? I would say, you know, it, it's just, it's a mental thing. But I think these little things help, you know. Um, it just kind of get me together. Yeah, yeah, it just helps me recoup, I think. Um, but I, I don't think I have a well-defined kind of way to say why I would do this. It's just, it's an automatic thing um, that just drives me. And, and like I said, sometimes, you know, certain things, um, yeah. Or, 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 but coming, to, so, so I think one of the things that you ask is that how do you, so when it comes to work, uh, it's also you need to, I always believe in working smart and not hard, right? Uh, and then my mm. boss would say, you know, uh, so I'll tell you I'm going to South Africa. So he says, you know what, you could be going to the moon long as you deliver your project. I mean, that's how, I had a good boss. I mean, sometimes you have good bosses in life, you know. Uh, so, uh, and then he said, look, I don't care where you're going. Even if you're going to the moon, uh, you get your task done, I'm good. So I think with that flexibility, it allows me to kind of move around, you know, and to come and do my refueling. But I think when it comes to work, uh, as I said, I'm very project driven. So, you know, if certain thing is due, uh, I would put in my time. Again, I would, you know, you know, there are times, obviously, you do overwork. But I mean, you know, it, it must have been a crisis. And I'll give you a good example. And I'm sorry, I don't want to divert too much. But, the, you know, the time of COVID-19, um, I'll never forget this man. It was the twenty fourth of December, twenty nineteen. Yes, twenty nineteen. That's when I got my computer got hit uh, to say, you know what, something's happening in China. Uh, it seems your particular drug works. Um, and my our my molecule or the molecule that I'm in charge of is an HIV drug called Kaletra. And, um, and they said, you know what, uh, so the WHO, everyone was on my case, you know, to say, look, help us out. Um, so those, you won't believe this, but I pushed over, I mean, that wasn't even an eight hour work. I pushed 16 to 20 hours a day because the whole world, it's a pandemic, right? Things were going crazy. They thought the HIV drug was working. What do you do? You can't go and say eight hours and I must go and sleep and all. You can't do that. Because the world was under attack. Okay, we had this virus, we needed a cure, we needed a molecule. Um, so thing, things went that day, I mean, that time went crazy. And that's why I don't even forget the date. Because, you know, I mean, really everything just went a little crazy. A little abnormal, that situation. But the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah, you know, when it comes to normality again, um, I think there are certain buttons you can say, you know what, 
that eight hours you're going to stop um, and, and then you need to be doing the other bits as well but uh, I mean I don't think it's a well-defined process uh, you know and I, I, I just feel sometimes you just you need to just draw the line yeah and I like that you brought us to the point of COVID-19 and 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 that part of life um, because as a doctor and as somebody that works in the pharmaceutical field and you, I think you were on like the top, top level. You, you were speaking to WHO, like you just said, um, what is, and I think this, this year goes back to the work life equation where you have your equilibrium. Uh, but what, what would you recommend? A lot of people right now are suffering like, Oh, we don't want to go back to work because we in, in the comfort of our house or either some of them are burnt out and, there's so much of confusion in the world right now. Like I remember that I hated being at home. I couldn't be at home during that that level five lockdown in South Africa. It was like driving me crazy. I, I enjoyed being outside. Um, what what kind of like advice would you give to people to return into normality in a way? If I don't know if I I'm getting that correct. Like in in that perspective, like getting them back into like their their mind frame that the world is going to be fine now. It's going to continue moving forward and. What advice would you give to people returning to a, like that balance again, that equilibrium? Yeah. So, look, I think th- this was one of many epi- uh, pandemics to come. I think COVID-19 is the first. Uh, I don't want to scare anyone, but I think, honestly, if you look at it, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not Nostradamus as well, but I think we're going to get hit with a few more pandemics, you know, in the years to come. So, given. Uh, we know. I think scientifically, if you just look at the way viruses mutate and the whole, you know, the B14 and the 15, the story is happening. And as we speak now, you know, the mutants are kind of happening and forming. So over the years, there's going to be more pandemics um, and, you know, things will come through. My advice is, I think, the good news is the vaccines will be coming a lot faster because we, I think people kind of, um, you know, kind of get the viruses worked out very quickly. They know the shape, um, they can do the spike protein, they can map it, and they can form antibodies. They've got different mechanisms, etc. So, so my advice would be, you know, people, number one, should not panic. Uh, number two, the vaccine, you know, some people got some stories, and I can't believe this, you know. There would even be medical people that would be speaking, they're very anti-vaccine. So I think this is going to be another topic. We won't go into this. But I think if you've got a vaccine uh, and we've got data to say that it works, scientific data, I think people should use vaccines because it'll guide them. It'll protect them. You know, it'll provide the immunity. And I think we've got data to show uh, less hospitalizations, less deaths and so forth. I think the norm is also going to be this whole social distancing thing. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but now when you go to gatherings, <laughs> this is like an automatic two-meter thing that people will do, you know. And you look and say, yeah, you know, yeah. this is this is what COVID's done to us, right? And you, you you adapt to new behaviors. Even the masks, you know, people still have, I mean, I'm like that, but I mean, you know, I'd keep my mask on and then I thought like, I'm okay here, you know, it's an open field. Why, why am I wearing a mask, you know? Yeah, so I think certain behaviors, uh, uh, I think people will continue doing and it's not bad ones, you know. I think the social distancing, um, hygiene, I think people are using a lot more sanitizer, etc. Um, but if we start doing things, and I think it goes back to my age, remember, the one of the age, three ages, hygiene, uh, I think it's going to play a big role going forward. Um, you know, it, it'll help us even from the pandemic side, etc. 
uh, also the way countries make decisions on blocking, stopping, you know, uh, lockdowns. And I think our president has done a very good job when it comes to, you know, certain lockdown periods. I think we did good. South Africa, person, I mean, look, there, there could be different opinions. But I saw certain times, you know, when the lockdowns came, we did good. Uh, we also kind of alerted the world when certain variants came in South Africa. It was good. But the future, um, but I think people should be real. I feel, you know, the vaccines will help. And also there are new treatment modalities that are coming through. Uh, and again, this would be another podcast. But, you know, uh, luckily we have, we have treatments now that, that you can take on day two or day three. If you're feeling a little uneasy and you are positive, you can take some medication that could abort or can reduce viral loads immediately. You can also get newer antibodies, etc. that, you know, people can get injected and they get saved. So I, th- I think from a, from a treatment perspective, from a prevention perspective, we are going to be well prepared. So there should not be panic. Um, you know, from a science perspective, I think we're right there. Uh, you know, people can develop a vaccine within nine months. So I, I don't, or within six to nine months, you know, so there, there's not going to be that panic. Uh, going into the future yeah I, I like the i like the assurance that you're kind of giving uh, the generation and the generation to come and the doctors to come um it kind of gives gives hope uh, but also excitement simultaneously so um it's a good thing uh, but I, I kind of like don't want another level five it's like at the back of my mind please don't let that happen again um, and finally, we come into the last part of your podcast episode. It's been really great chatting to you, uh, Dr. Vallab. Um And this comes to making hard decisions. Um, and you spoke about moving to the UAE uh, from South Africa. And it's probably one of, one of the hard decisions, moving anywhere in the world for anybody, moving away from your family, moving away from your parents, anything like that is a hard decision. What sort of preparation? You're a strategy type of person. You're very meticulous in your ways. Uh, in which you play and plan things, as you mentioned, with the hike, uh, planning a hike, getting people up, getting people down, clean slate. Um, what sort of planning did you go through when you were moving from South Africa to the UAE? What is your what is your thinking line? What what did you have to make sure that your family was? What is your your top your bucket list? Yeah, you know this was this was it was a very tough move. Um, you know I am. <laughs> I had this attitude about my blood is green, I'll never leave the country. And I mean, honestly, I really want to be here for the rest of my life. But it so happened, you know, with, with, with regard to your, your career progression and growth, uh, there were certain factors that would have not allowed me to <clears throat> kind of get to the, to the peak of where I want to be in South Africa. So I had to look for another place. Now, when the opportunity came, um, and, and it was, you know, my, 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 my manager then um, came up to me and said, look, um, I've got a post for you. You need to kind of develop a similar system that we have in South Africa. Can you kind of cut and paste, you know, but I want you to take it to the Middle East. And, and I said, no, look, I'm, I can do it from South Africa. Um, and then a year later, he came back to me and says, you know what, this is not going to work. You have to get into the Middle East. Uh, to kind of make things happen. You have to be there yourself. Um, so I had a year to prepare. So I think that's the first thing, you know. It took me 12 months just to kind of, what is it going to, what am I going to be doing there? Uh, I mean, it's a new system. You start from scratch. So that, that kind of gave me a lot of palpitations. Um, you know, kind of just, what am I going into? Um, and it is going to work. 
The second point was, you know, uh, my, leaving my parents behind and, and they're aging parents, you know, they're old, they were old, uh, they are old uh, and you don't want to leave old parents behind because, you know, they're very fragile. So you need to be there if they need you. But luckily I have a, a strong kind of family support system. So like, you know, extended family, my sister, I had family, they said, no, you know what, we'll help. There's no issue. And they were mobile. So important is mobility. You know, if my parents were mobile, it was a positive sign to say they could manage on their own. But the third critical part was my kids. You know, so if I'm going to move, um, how are the kids going to manage? You know, am I taking them out at a critical time? Because, you know, you've got different phases at school. So, you know, I couldn't just pull them out and, and then... And, my, and Kavita, my daughter was the best. You know, she says, look, don't talk to me until you get things in writing. I thought, wow. I mean, that, that was like, what? You're 14-year-old giving me... She says, yeah, don't talk to us. Get things in writing and then we'll decide. I said, okay. But the, but the point she was making is that, look, let's be sure. If we're going, then, you know, Dad, I'm going to have to make new friends. And I mean, I get it. I get it. It's very difficult for a 14-year-old to leave school as well. Um, but I think those were some of the things uh, where I had to think uh, ahead. Um, would the kids be okay? You know, will they get? Will the education system be as good or better than what we're getting presently? Will my parents be okay? But then the the, the first element that I touched on the work situation. I'm going into an area. Uh, will people accept me? And I just heard also that you know that time that the three previous people that took the position got they left the company within a month, and here I am the fourth person going into the Middle East. What if they do the same to me? Or what if I decide to, you know, reject the offer or, or not even like the job, I had to come back. Um, but, 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 you know, so when it came to decision, um, yeah, I had, to, I had to look at a number of factors. The career, will I be okay there? Uh, uh, will the kids be okay? You know, I had to think of my parents. And then I had to also do some strategic thinking from an education perspective. So I kind of looked at the system in South Africa and what was happening. Uh, personally, I wasn't very happy um, to weigh, you know, our quality system, our metrics, uh, you know, kind of the measures. And I was getting a little sad. I was a bit saddened, you know, when I saw the quality of care, be it teaching, be it um, hospitals. And I thought, man, this is not what I had in mind here. You know, things weren't looking very positive for me. Uh, I thought the education system could have been better, um, you know, and I felt my kids needed to be more, more competitive. I needed to get into an environment where they tested a bit more. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that South Africa did not test them. I think South Africa prepared them very well. But it prepared them as a good South African person and in the South African context. You know, were they good enough for the globe? Or was it, was it strong enough uh, for the rest of the world? I, I, I couldn't answer that, you know. So I think those were some of the things that made me think to say, maybe I need to introduce them to an international system let them get into uh, a school where they could be challenged uh, a lot more as well. So I think those were some of the factors uh, when, it, when it came to making a decision, going into the UAE, um, you know, and, and, and whether it's going to work or not. So a lot of anxiety, a lot of palpitations. But I think, you know, what kind of helped me is also uh, I had some good people I spoke to um, and then say, you know what, you should go, give it a try. And then there were other people that went through as well. So, you know, you, you kind of also talk to people and get their experiences. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a, you, you do your bit of insights gathering, right? Um, factual discussion. You look at your support systems and then you say, you know what, this is the way I want to go. 
So I think collectively, um, so that, that was the approach that I kind of took uh, when I went into the UAE. I don't know if I, if I got the picture, but I think that was more or less, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you come back to what I started with. The whole Middle East, that's where the whole third culture hero bit started, you know. Uh, and, and the reason I end the title with hero, or the phrase with hero, is you could do third culture, but I was a hero because I thought I made a success out of it, right? Um, yes. If I didn't have that hero part there, then I thought, yes. you know, I kind of messed up. But I mean, even messing up is not doesn't mean that you've lost out. You know, it's just that maybe, um, you know, certain paths you chose weren't correct. I could have been lucky that I took this path and I became a hero. But I think to your point, I think there was some adequate preparation and making the right decision, getting the facts right, you know. Yeah, uh, as, a, as from a career perspective, if I did this in South Africa, if this is what the Middle East did not have, I picked up, there were gaps. And, and there were gaps and I kind of remedied that and, you know, mm. kind of made it better and, and things got better. So, yeah, I, th- I think that was the approach uh, from, a, from a strategic perspective. Now, I, I think that like puts the highlight for the podcast episode. It's been really great. And now finally, we have the wrap up questions. It's a rapid fire questions and you can give us a sentence or maybe even a little bit more. But there's a few six questions that we're going to go through. Um, and it's quick questions that just give us like a brief headline on it. Uh, so if you can tell me three of the most influential people in your life and how they've impacted you. Um, Nelson Mandela. Uh, my dad and uh, Gandhi and how they've impacted my life. Yes. Yes. I, I think I, I think their leadership uh, and just the way they went about life. Um, you know, I kind of use a lot of their principles to kind of help me. Okay, I, I like that. Uh, if you could go back to your eighteen-year-old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> oh man, um, I, I think I, I should have taken a, 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 what do you guys call it, a gap year and travel the world. A gap year, yeah. Yeah, I, the, I would have traveled the world a bit earlier. But with any historical figure, if you could have a cup of tea with them, who would, it, who would you choose? Yeah, look, I mean, you, you might say I'm overdoing this, but I would honestly would want to spend some time with Madiba. Uh, I would really, really would like to sit and have a long cup of tea. I mean, really. Nelson Mandela. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really insightful. Uh, I, there's no, been no podcast guest that have, has said Madiba. Uh, so you're the first. Um, what's your, if, if you don't mind expanding upon this, and this is a little bit personal, but what would you say is your biggest failure? And can be either emotional, physical, even achievement. What would you say it's the most, uh, your biggest? I think my failure would be, uh, I think one of the yes. things that I did want to change is um, some of the health systems and, and the way communities and the health services were in, for example, the area I came from, Indonesia. Uh, I want to develop stronger community health clinics, etc. Uh, I, I think I did okay. Uh, I set up a lot of asthma clinics, etc. But I wish I could have just done so much. I tried to influence and tried to push, but maybe I could have just done a lot more there. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the most important lesson you've learned over your journey thus far? There's no such a thing as failure. Um, you know, for me, you know, whenever someone tells me you can't do that, uh, I don't know why, I, I won't even do that. So, um, 
the, the biggest thing is I've always challenged, you know. I, I think my dad always tells me, keep on pushing the button. So my, my biggest kind of, in my journey, I've always learned um, in a way, uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've fallen a few times, but that's kind of helped me uh, grow. Um, and, and like I said, in my whole life has been like that. I think it's just the way we were programmed. Um, but, but those are the things that help me. Okay. Uh, if there's one thing in the world that you could change at a snap of a finger, what would that be? The way the world, the way the climate is changing, uh, I would, if I could change that, uh, because I, I think it's not, you know, at the moment, the world, the physical state of Earth, it's not where it's supposed to be. If I could change that, uh, I think that would help us you know, change a lot of things. Uh, but specifically, I'll, I mean, it's, it's a climate bit as well. You know, I think things are moving a little too fast for me. Uh, so if, if I could change that or rather if I could just slow down things from not going downhill, um, that would be, I would want to save the earth. Okay. I like that. Um, yeah. And that comes to the end of your podcast session, Dr. Vallabh. Really appreciated your time once again. Um, and yeah, your insight is brilliant. Your st- frameworks, your strategies, your, I, I think your life stories is like really a, a roller coaster, ups and downs. And there's, there's so much that we, I've taken out of it personally. And I hope the audience as well takes out of it. Um, and yeah, any, any uh, final comments to our audience? No, I, I really enjoyed the, the interview. Thanks. Uh, and firstly, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, I hope I could uh, spread some magic. Um, I, I think you're right. You know, we've we've all we all learned through a lot of these experiences, uh, but I just sincerely hope that some of my I, I could uh, help share some of my experience that could help other people grow and and get to the next level as well. But uh, also, I'd like to wish you uh, everything of the best. You know, uh, this is a fantastic platform, and thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much, Dr. Vallabh. Really appreciate. It. Thank you, everybody. To our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Links that were mentioned during the episode are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a five-star rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at expandable underscore mind. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.